This episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast is sponsored in part by Law Enforcement Labor Services in Minnesota. Law Enforcement Labor Services, also known as LELS, is Minnesota's largest public safety labor union with over 7,000 Minnesota public safety members serving in all areas of public safety. Law enforcement, 911 dispatch centers, corrections, public safety administrative support personnel, and firefighters. Established in 1977, LELS serves over 260 different public safety agencies and over 450 locals across the state of Minnesota. With their administration, general counsel, three staff attorneys, and 14 business agents, LELS provides contract negotiations for better wages and benefits, grievance processing and representation, discipline representation, mediation and arbitration, assistance with representation for post-board hearings, and in-line-of-duty death benefits for survivor families. Find out more about Law Enforcement Labor Services at LELS.org. LELS.org. Episodes of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast may contain strong language and violent content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Sheriff Scott Rose from Minnesota, and I'm your host for today's new episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. In each episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast, we'll share the details and the stories of how these men and women heroically lost their lives in the line of duty. Our mission is to help ensure their service and sacrifice is never forgotten. Thanks for spending some time with me today to remember and honor these fallen heroes. Sixty-five miles southeast of the Twin Cities, located next to Lake Pepin on the widest point of the Mississippi River, is the Minnesota City known as Lake City. With a population of over 5,000, it's known for its great parks, for walking, swimming, and fishing, as well as some of the best boating in the Midwest. It's also known as the birthplace of water skiing. Known as a birthplace of water skiing and considered one of the top five sailing areas in the world, it's the opportunities that the immense Lake Pepin provide that help set Lake City apart. Water skiing was invented in Lake City by area resident Ralph Samuelson, which he first performed on Lake Pepin during the summer of 1922. To commemorate this event, Lake City adopted the nickname the Birthplace of Water Skiing and holds an annual town festival called Water Ski Days in June of each year. Their festival typically includes three days of water skiing exhibitions, live music, a beer garden, a street festival, sports tournaments, and a grand parade. NASA announces the beginning of a historic voyage to Mars, launching the rover Curiosity aboard an Atlas V rocket from Cape Canaveral. Three, two, one, main engine start, zero, and liftoff of the Atlas V with Curiosity. Seeking clues to the planetary puzzle about life on Mars. After a decade-long pursuit, U.S. Special Forces kill Osama bin Laden in a raid on a house in Pakistan. I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of al-Qaeda, and a terrorist who's responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men 
women, and children. It was the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 bombings this year, an attack that cost the lives of nearly 3,000 Americans. The loss, the sadness, and the fear still very real to Americans. The year was 2011. There'd been a little bit of snow earlier that month, and on December 19th, it was looking like a normal Minnesota winter day, breezy with temperatures in the low 30s. Unfortunately, this day would end up being far from normal for this small Minnesota community. Sean Schneider, badge 208, had been with the Lake City Police Department for about nine years. He'd previously worked for the Wabasha County Sheriff's Office and the Plainview Police Department. The Lake City Police Department was a typical small Minnesota police department. They had 10 full-time officers and they had eight part-time officers serving this tourism community. The police department in Lake City, we have a chief and a sergeant, which is basically the assistant chief, and then an SRO slash investigator. So he was a school resource officer and did investigations. And the rest of us were strictly patrol. So you had two people at all times, you know, a town of 6,000. Sean was described by Wabasha County Sheriff Rodney Barsh as somebody police chiefs and sheriffs really wanted on their staff, somebody that was friendly and outgoing and absolutely knew how to do the right thing. So Sean was just that, that hometown uh, kid that uh, everybody liked when he was growing up. And everybody liked him as an officer. He uh, he was the type that could do his job, could write those tickets, could pe- put people in jail, but he wasn't the guy that was going to put you in your place. He was going to have a, a good understanding with that person that he dealt with, and they were going to have the respect for him afterwards. I mean, he was that officer that everybody would want on your staff, that you're going to get very little complaints from, because he was doing the job for the right reason, which was just a just to help people, and he just, he just had the caring nature about him. Sean and his wife, Brittany, were raising three young kids, and his mom, Cheryl Schneider, said Sean always wanted to be a cop. Kindergarten, he wanted to be a police officer, so we got him this plastic thing that went over his head, and he was a cop for kindergartner. I'd say probably his junior year, I think, is when he realized he wanted to go into law enforcement. He talked to Joe um, Kalpa. He was the, the chief of police at the time and went and talked to Joe a lot. And Joe has always told us that, too, that Sean would come in and talk to him about being a police officer. And Cheryl talks about how Sean was always about his kids. He was awesome. His kids came first. He made sure that he took care of them and could, you know, have what they wanted, but you're not getting everything you want type thing, you know, wanted his kids to to play sports or hockey, or hockey was his favorite thing, of course, and Aunt Lillian or dance and and piano, but yeah, no, he, he was a good father. Kurt Struy was a detective with Wabasha County, and he was on the violent crimes enforcement team for Southeast Minnesota. He and Sean were friends. He was, he was a very fair person. He, he liked listening to everybody's side of the story before he made a decision on what needed to happen. Um, He treated everybody the same, um, very respectful. And it wasn't wasn't uncommon for people to thank him after 
he arrested him or, or gave him a ticket or, or whatever call he dealt with him on. He was just that same, that same personal person on the job as he was as a friend. It was Monday. Sean was working day shift patrol, and Officer Kevin Dather was the other officer on duty. He was working as the school resource officer in the schools. Kevin's badge was 209. Christmas was next weekend, and the city of Lake City was alive with decorations and holiday programs throughout the month. The 100 miles of Christmas celebration was last week. It's an old-fashioned Christmas celebration highlighting the beauty and wonderment of the season, adding to the kids' excitement knowing that Santa was just around the corner. Twenty-five-year-old Alan Silty of Hager City, Wisconsin, was a despondent Iraq War veteran who was in the process of being discharged from the Wisconsin National Guard. Silty joined the Guard in February of 2009, and he served on active duty from March to August of 2010. As a private, Silty served in Iraq for three months last summer with an engineer company based in Spooner and Superior, Wisconsin a unit that provided security and cleared roadside bombs. There in Iraq, Silty was assigned to escort a battalion commander around. Silty was struggling. He was struggling with the fact that his 17-year-old girlfriend had broken up with him. According to BCA reports, Silty had assaulted his girlfriend in the past and told her on December 16th that he intended to see his family and then end his life. BCA stands for the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. It's a statewide criminal investigative bureau under the Minnesota Department of Public Safety. Most agencies in Minnesota don't have the equipment, the manpower, or the technical training to fully investigate homicides. The BCA will come out and they provide expert forensic science and criminal investigation services in cases like this to assist smaller agencies. According to Officer Dather, there were signs of trouble two days before in Lake City, information that never got to the police department. That day that that happened, Sean's incident, we found out two days before He'd come into the school and demanded that they call her out of class or try and take her out of the school or out of class. And of course, he was not a parent or on the slip. So the school did very good there by looking into that, not doing anything or honoring that or calling her, even though he represented himself as a family member. My understanding was the principal had to be very stern with him, almost forcefully saying, no, you need to leave the school before we get law enforcement involved, which time he did leave. Frustrating part about that is, I was a school resource officer at the time. And Never received a call. Nobody in the police department was ever told about the incident with this individual coming in, manning to see her, trying to pass himself off as a family member. Silty had apparently taken a handgun from his half-brother's home. His girlfriend had broken up with him, and he was having bad thoughts. According to his uncle, he had written cryptic messages in his Facebook page saying he was a wreck. And in another, he wrote, If I mean anything to anyone, thanks. And I love you. It was December 19th, 2011. 
According to court documents, Silty had sent 282 text messages to his girlfriend before driving to her family's rented house in Lake City and fighting with her inside. Silty allegedly pointed a gun at her and chambered her round during the argument. The Wabasha County Sheriff's Office provides 9-11 dispatch services to the county, including the Lake City Police Department. In Minnesota, these dispatch centers are referred to as PSAPs, which stand for Public Safety Answering Point. In dispatch, it was Steve Buell and John Yorty working the 911 dispatch center on the phones and radio. Silty's girlfriend had a friend parked out in front of the house to pick her up for school. The friend called her mom, who then called 911. 911. Hi, um, my name is John Evanson. My daughter right now is on West Lion Avenue. She doesn't know the, the address, the exact address on the house. She's at Val Wilson's house, and it would be calling Getchman's house also. Um, her, um, my daughter's girlfriend, Belle, is in the house, and, and her boyfriend's in the house, and her boyfriend has a gun right now. And so, um, my daughter's car is a red Ford, Ford Focus. Okay, and so, and she, and my daughter's sitting outside of the house right now because she's going to go pick her up from school. Okay. Red Ford Focus. And this yeah. is on West, West Lyon Avenue? West Lyon Avenue. She can't see the street address, and I'm not letting her get out of the car to, okay. to go up there either. She was going to go to the residence for what reason? Her boyfriend lives there? No, no, no. She was going to the residence to pick up Val Wilson to take her to school. Okay, how old is Val? Val's 17. Okay, and what's going on in the house now? Val's boyfriend is in the house. And um, Becky had her phone open so she could hear what was going on. But then her boyfriend took the phone away and clicked it. And um, all Becky could hear was Val crying really hard. And her boyfriend was yelling at her saying, you better stop this. I have a gun and everything. Dispatch then calls Officer Sean Schneider, badge number 208, to respond. 208, need you to go to 618 West Lyon Avenue. Reference a male party at the residence with a weapon, with a handgun. Apparently, guys have been called there yesterday. I got a third party call from the mother. Apparently the daughter's there and he said this male party AJ's there now and he has a gun, according to the caller. Copy, is he threatening her with it? Her the mother, who's in Rochester, she says that he is. And he um, was telling the the daughter that he has a weapon with him. And that's all she could tell me. Copy. Can you try making phone contact there and see if we can get somebody to step out? In high-priority calls like this, especially weapons calls and domestics, officers will request that dispatch try to make contact with the residents in question. With dispatch staying on the line with someone in the residence, it helps the officer have a better idea of what he or she is walking into. 
With both 911 calls from this incident being third-party calls, dispatch hadn't had any phone contact yet with anybody from the house, so they'd try and come up with a phone number based on the address and any past contacts listed in their RMS system. Yeah, I don't have that address there, and I've been disconnected with the mother who's in Rochester, so I don't have a number. I'll try to look it up in records here quick. RMS stands for Records Management System. A records management system is basically the agency's computer system or storage system. It provides for the storage, retrieval, retention, manipulation, archiving, and viewing of information, reports, documents, or files pertaining to law enforcement operations. Officer Kevin Dather was working as the school resource officer that day. He was in plain clothes and was in the area when the call came out. He was badge 209. When the call came out, I was literally three houses from the location of the call. And by the time I advised that I would assist Sean in that, and I could see the red lights coming at me, which meant it was Sean. On any priority call like this, especially calls with a weapon, neighboring agencies monitoring radio traffic will start heading that way until they hear the officers are okay. Detective Kurt Struy was one of those neighbors on his way from Wabasha County. I was in Wabasha at the Wabasha County Sheriff's Office, and I, I heard the call came out with a with a man with a gun in a domestic situation. So I started. I ran to my car and started going at going to Lake City right away. You know, it's very early morning. You're going all right. Uh, she's not in high school. We knew she was dating an older individual. And so we're walking along, and you're cautious, and we're looking around the area, you know, to make sure. Just checking your soundings, I guess, is more like it, you know, just making sure that somebody didn't come out of the house and stand there or going to set us up or whatever. When Sean and Kevin approached the front of the house, Silty, who they could see inside, ran towards the back of the house. And we're walking, and we, we approached the house. Sean knocks, and I can remember... Uh, He's got a gun. He's going out the back. I go around. The whole thing's fenced in. So I run all the way around the garage, come to a back corner, kind of the opposite corner of where the front door was. Silty ran to the back of the house, and he came out the back door armed with a handgun. When he first started coming out, I got on the radio, and I said, I got him coming out the back door with the gun. I got him here. He's got the gun in his hand. 200 or 201. Can you guys copy? We got a man inside of the gun. 618 West Line. And to this day, I can see he comes walking out and never looks up. I don't know if he's talking to himself, what the deal is. When he comes out the back door of the porch, I let him get away from the house. I can see the gun. He doesn't look up. And I, of course, drew down on him and I said, please drop the gun. And he barely glanced at me, looks back down, turns around, walks right back in the house. Doesn't raise his gun, nothing. Keeps it down at his side, almost towards the back part of his leg. While Kevin confronted Silty in the back of the house, Sean got the girlfriend out the front door of the house and told her to go for cover and wait by his squad. By that time, Sean comes along the side of the house. I said, Sean, we're talking. He goes, okay, she's out of the house. I said, good. So I'm thinking we got to barricade the suspect. Fine. Nobody else in the house. He's going to go back towards the front and cover southeast corner of the house. And I'm by the garage, so I was going to go back around the garage. I was going to cover the northwest corner. So I got the back of the house and the street side. Sean's got the front of the house. 200, 209, I copy. Give the address again. 
Silty, now inside, had retreated to the basement, and apparently when he saw Sean and his girlfriend outside, he fired four rounds out the basement window. As I get there, I hear four shots from inside the house. And I thought, okay, he just shot himself or he's shooting up the house or whatever because I thought, we're safe. Sean's out, I'm out, the victim's out. I could tell they're coming from inside the house. Kevin starts giving the address to dispatch, and then he hears the gunshots. 618, is that you shooting Sean, or can you hear those shots? 208, can you hear those shots? Are you 10 2? And I tried calling him on the radio. Calling him on the radio. Calling him on the radio, and he doesn't answer. And right away, I'm going, this fucking stupid 800 megahertz piece of shit radio is not working. God damn it. Never expecting that something happened to Sean. I thought we had our bases covered. So, of course, I'm pissed. I'm blaming the radio. So I'm going, now how the hell do I get a hold of Sean? He's in the opposite corner. I'm over here. The sheriff's office and area agencies had just transitioned over to a new 800 megahertz trunked radio system with Motorola. These radios were expensive, and they were much more complicated than the old radios. They were, they were a big learning curve for many of Minnesota's officers. The girlfriend narrowly escaped being shot. She told authorities, as she headed towards the police officer's vehicle parked out front, that she heard the gunshots, and she felt two rounds go by her. This according to a search warrant application filed in the case. 208, are you okay? 208, are you okay? When she turned around, she saw Sean fall to the ground. Nine one one. Hi, we've got an officer down. Um, uh, I'm at six fourteen West Lyon. It's right next door in Lake City. Okay. An officer's down. been shot. Okay. Thank you. Yep. While well, we shot all the units responding, we do have a report of an officer down. At that time, Cage comes across for the ambulance was needed at such and such address. We have an officer down. I'm going, what? Sean's in that corner. I'm in this corner. There's nobody down. We got the guy in the house. The shots came from inside the house. She's gone. So I acknowledged dispatch, and I said, uh, I'm going to check, but I don't know. He said a neighbor called and said they can see an officer down. Kevin runs to the front and sees Sean. So I go back around the garage, and sure as shit, there's Sean down. I'm going, what the hell happened? You know, I'm going, did he... Because it was surrounded by a fence. I'm going, did something happen when he was going over the fence, around the fence? What the hell? Never did I dream, because there's no outside shots, that he was shot. Lake City Officer Kevin Dather backed Sean up, and they were at the call. And I heard Kevin ask for Sean over the radio. He asked a couple times, and there's no response. And then, as uh, I kept driving, then then Kevin said over the radio that Sean had been shot. He is down. We need medical. Get a hold of Goodhue County. I got him in sight. 
He is down. Attention, 271 Lake City Amulets. Got a medical emergency, medical emergency up on 618 Lion Avenue. It is a crime scene with an officer with a weapon. Sounds like an officer now. Um, please stay away from the scene, but respond up close. Contact with a 200 car. Dispatch now calls Goodhue County to request more help to respond. Ten forward. Goodhue County. Yes, it's Wabasha County. We need Hi, Wabasha. We've got an officer down right in Lake City. We have had a shooting at 618 okay. West Lyon. Okay. And they're requesting any help you can send that way if you have the ERT or available officers. Okay, so you do want Operation 1000? Okay. Yes, I will do. contact people, so an officer down at 618 West Lyon. Yes. Okay, I will let my deputies know and we'll talk to someone to get the Operation 1000 going, okay? Yep. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you. Yep. Bye. We need medical here right away. Have them stop on Lion Avenue by the last squad until we get the area secure. 271-515. Will you uh, put Mayo 1 on standby, please? Mayo 1 is an emergency medical helicopter dispatched from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. The staff, the medical equipment, and medications on board Mayo Clinic Ambulance Service helicopters make them mobile emergency departments, or EDs. Equipped to handle nearly anyone with serious trauma injuries or a critical illness. A helicopter can be in flight within minutes of dispatch, 24 hours a day, every day of the week. Mayo Clinic's medical helicopters fly nearly 2,000 flights a year. Soon, more officers from Lake City and the Wabasha County Sheriff's Office arrive on scene to assist. At that time, I was a uh, detective for Wabasha County Sheriff's Office. I was assigned to the uh, Southeast Minnesota Violent Crime Enforcement Team, which is a um, agency's assigned investigators in Southeast Minnesota to investigate violent crimes, which include the distribution of illegal drugs. Deputy Brad Majeski, his brother Chief Deputy Joe Majeski, and Detective Kurt Struey, all from the Wabasha County Sheriff's Office arrived on scene, and they took over in front of the residents. They needed to get Sean out of there, and they decided to do an officer rescue. Kevin was trying to figure out what happened and how to get Sean out of there. I had to get Sean to to roll over, and he would move his left arm a little bit. I think that was for me to come and get him. You know, I've thought thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly thought what was going on. You know, and I try and realize that because he did move and I'm worried about the suspect and I can remember saying, Sean, don't worry if that guy's out here and he comes back, he's going to have the battle of his life. I got you and I got me. And I'm trying to do a 360 around me, protect Sean. I'm out hiding behind this tree laying face down, not knowing where the suspect is. And within, I'm going to say, a very short time, chief, the sergeant, and the SRO, who was also licensed part-time, all showed up. In an officer rescue like this one, one officer drives a squad car, using it essentially as a shield, while other officers walk behind it towards the victim so they can get to the injured officer and get him or her out. This rescue would be safest done behind a large armored vehicle like the county's peacekeeper. The Goodhue County SWAT team had been dispatched to respond and they were bringing the peacekeeper with them. However, these three officers felt they couldn't wait for SWAT to try and get Sean out of there. 
More officers continued to arrive on scene to assist. Sergeant Cubista from Lake City PD was there and continuously yelling at Sean to let him know that they were going to get him out of there. Sean was down on his back with his head lying on a landscape timber. He kept placing his right hand on his head injury and then he would look at his hand. Officers on scene said he appeared dazed. Kurt and the other officers grabbed a Ford Taurus. It was an unmarked squad parked out in front of the house and they used it for the rescue. They could see Lake City Police Chief Gary Myjak and Lake City Officer Priggy had run up to the neighboring yard towards Sean. Kurt got into the driver's seat while the other officers advanced behind the car. They now felt they had enough officers to cover the house so they could go get Sean out. And the one took a rifle, went in the neighbor's house and protected that side of the house where Sean was. And we told him, we, I don't know where the suspect is. I was over there. I don't know. One of the guys was going to run up and grab him. And I said, stop. We don't know where the suspect is. Our hospital cannot handle two people. Stop. We need a plan. He goes, where we're getting him out of I said, fucking right, we're getting him out of there. Then our chief, who was near retirement, reaches me the shotgun. And he goes, me and Dave are going to low crawl along the house. I want you to go with us and cover the windows. And Corey had it from that other house, our sergeant. I said, you got it. He goes, you got left and right and low, and Corey will advise you because he's got all the windows. So those two went along the side, and I followed, and they were able to grab Sean by his vest. We were out of carrier vest, got him to the fence, and this works. It happens so fast, you try and think. I can remember a county car pulling up. And I can't remember how they got him through the fence, over the fence. You know, I, I was just thinking, ram the goddamn fence of the vehicle. Who gives a shit? We need to get him out of here. But they got him out and loaded and proceeded to the Lake City Hospital. When I got there, I, uh, I got my rifle out and ran up to the scene behind a uh, an unmarked plane chain car that Lake City PD had sitting in the, in the street. And after we kind of assessed the situation, we, we drew a team together, and I ended up driving the, the car up into the yard of the house where this happened. And uh, Lake City Chief Myjak and Lake City Officer Dave Priggy uh, went up and, and took Sean and pulled him behind the car. And then uh, Chief Deputy Joe Majewski helped get him into the car. They got Sean into the backseat of the squad. They could see his head wound and that he was bleeding badly. They were all telling Sean, hang on, hang on. Kurt then raced from the scene to get Sean to the hospital while the others ran back to cover to wait for help to arrive. They would assist getting residents out of their homes on that block and then escorting them to the outer perimeter that had been established to keep everyone safe. On the way to the hospital, Kurt kept talking to Sean. He, he was moving his right arm, so he, he kept touching his head and then looking at his hand. But he, he wasn't responsive, and I don't think he was. He could hear what I was saying to him. After Kurt drops off their friend Sean at the emergency room and medical staff takes him inside, Kurt returns to the scene. I decided to go back to the house and, and look for the guy that shot him. SWAT teams 
sheriff's deputies from both Wabasha and Olmstead counties and the Lake City Police Department all responded to the scene mid-morning and held their positions until the Rochester Police Department's tactical team could respond. I was then assigned back to the other side of the house, watch around, make sure, and so we kind of covered the perimeters of the house, and by then the state patrol was coming, more Wabasha County, Goodyear County, uh, the leader of the SWAT team was on the radio, and he pulled up, parked in the street, and where I was hiding by the garage, and the, he called me back to him, I told me exactly what we had about that, and I got relieved from the scene to go to the hospital. Incidents like this just didn't happen in this small lakeside community. Lake City hadn't had an officer shot since the late 1970s. Also, in most small agencies in rural areas like this, they don't have the manpower or funding for tactical teams like are needed in incidents like this. These area agencies work together to develop and train a local tactical team, and then often rely on the larger neighboring agencies, in this case, the Olmsted County Sheriff's Office and the Rochester Police Department, to assist with their emergency response teams and tactical teams. These agreements authorize these agencies to help outside jurisdictions with manpower, technology, and tactical teams when needed. One of the hardest things to do in law enforcement, aside from an actual death notification, is having to contact a fallen officer's family to let them know that he or she's been hurt, especially when they're your friends. Once Sean was on his way to the hospital and everyone was back in position, the chief returned to the police department to contact Sean's wife, Brittany. From the police department, he called the Mayo Clinic where she was working to try and reach her, and he was told she was unavailable. The chief identified himself to her co-worker and explained that her husband had been hurt at work. A few minutes later, Brittany called back and was told the general details of what happened and that Sean was hurt. She told him she would have someone get her to St. Mary's so she could meet the ambulance there. That afternoon, the chief would drive to St. Mary's to give Brittany all the details he knew at the time. They were advised that Sean was in critical condition. Police at the scene believed Silty retreated back into the residence on Lyon Avenue. However, because no further contact had been made with the suspect since the incident, they couldn't be sure, so they stressed people in the area remained vigilant and on the lookout for any suspected sightings. We weren't for sure. We we thought he was. We, we were pretty sure that he was, but always in the back of your mind, you always wonder, well, what if he, he got out on a back door or side door and, and wasn't seen? So we, we set up a, a perimeter on the house, but still kept in mind that he, he could be somewhere outside too. Knowing Silty had spent time in the military with experience in weapons engineering, they also requested the Bloomington PD bomb squad to respond and assist along with the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. Lake City Public Schools entered into a lockdown mode shortly after being notified of the shooting. Sean's three kids were there in school, unaware that their father's shooting was the cause of the lockdown. Their aunt would later arrive at the school to pick them up and take them to St. Mary's Hospital. Once I got back to the house, I was on the perimeter, and we thought that we heard a gunshot, but we weren't sure. So we, we still sat on the perimeter, and we had the, had the Wabasha Goodyear County Emergency Response Team come. Um, the Olmstead Ratster Emergency Response Unit also came and started relieving us from the perimeter. And then they uh, 
deployed a robot to to search the house as much as they could. And this went on all day. News helicopters were now starting to arrive from the metro area, and they were broadcasting live video of the scene. Officers on scene were concerned that Silty could be watching that video from inside, so they set up a one-mile no-fly zone above the incident, and they pushed media back for the safety of the media reporters as well as the officers. By late afternoon, having had no contact with Silty, Bloomington PD used one of their armored vehicles to ram and remove windows and doors on the house. As the Minnesota State Patrol helicopter used its spotlight to light up the interior of the house. It was dark. It was nearing 6 p.m. And in Minnesota, in mid-December, the sun sets just before 5 p.m. So by 5, five o'clock, 6 o'clock in the afternoon, it was, it was dark out. And we used the State Patrol helicopter to shine a very bright light in the upstairs windows to see as much as we could inside. And then after that, the uh, teams made an entry into the house and, and found, the, found the guy that shot him laying in an upstairs bedroom with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The body was tentatively identified as Silty. The Department of Public Safety said they believed the body that was found was the man responsible for the shooting. Sean was in St. Mary's Hospital in Rochester. He was in critical condition. The support from the community and area law enforcement agencies was amazing. The, the police officers that came and just kept coming and coming, but they needed it as much as we did. Stuff happened here, how the businesses supported law enforcement, how they did stuff for the Snyders, how the other officers volunteered to watch his house, sit out front for him four or five days, you know, they did all that. Just for the family to feel somewhat safe. That following Tuesday night, about 300 residents and officers from communities from Minneapolis to Rochester to Lake City gathered at a candlelight prayer vigil outside the Rochester hospital where officer Sean Schneider was fighting for his life. The husband and father of three remained in critical condition at St. Mary's Hospital condition of the police officer shot and wounded in a southeastern Minnesota city remains the same. Mayo Clinic spokesman Joe Danger said today Sean Schneider remains in critical condition at the Medical Center's St. Mary's Hospital in Rochester. A 32-year-old Lake City officer was shot in the head and neck Monday after responding to a domestic call. Police say Schneider was shot by a man who was later found dead in the house of a self-inflicted gunshot. St. Mary's offered few details about Sean's condition late Tuesday. Relatives had said Monday he was shot on the right side of his head and the bullet was lodged on the left side of his brain. He had been able to give his wife and parents thumbs up and squeeze their hands. Sean's uncle, Mark Schneider, wrote on his Facebook page on Tuesday and linked to a story on the shooting. He said, from a basement window, this man ambushed my nephew as he walked to the front door in the line of duty. He has killed himself. Please pray for our family and his. After fighting for his life for more than 10 days in critical condition at St. Mary's Hospital in Rochester, Minnesota, 
Lake City Police Officer Sean Schneider died Friday evening, December 30th. The Lake City Police Officer who was shot while responding to a domestic disturbance call died this evening. It was just 11 days ago that we told you about the incident involving Officer Sean Schneider. And now his family is thanking everyone for their support and well wishes during this difficult time. Authorities say 25-year-old Alan Silty Jr. shot Schneider in the head, then took his own life. The hospital released a family statement that read in part, We are very sorry to report that Officer Sean Schneider of the Lake City Police Department died earlier this evening. The family thanks everyone for their overwhelming support and well wishes during this difficult time. Sean was just 32 years old and survived by his wife Brittany and his three beautiful children, Lily, Colin, and Alex. The following Saturday, January 7th, an estimated 2,400 people attended the funeral, including 2,000 public safety personnel. The Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial Association, known as LIMA, helped with the funeral arrangements. LIMA is a nonprofit organization run by officers and survivors and friends of fallen officers who volunteer their time to help provide assistance with the coordination and facilitation of all aspects of line of duty death funerals. They also provide emergency financial needs to the surviving family as needed and meet with them to assist in identifying all federal, state, and local benefits available. Lima also conducts an honor guard camp each summer, training honor guard teams from all across the country. There were 171 Law Enforcement Memorial Association honor guard members paying tribute to Sean that day. About 600 crowded into the church, with the rest in tents nearby. Officers outside noticed a bald eagle circling high above Lake City as the funeral began about 1 p.m. Before the service, the family met for a few minutes with Governor Mark Dayton, U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar, U.S. Representative Tim Walls, and State Senate Majority Leader Dave Centrum. House Speaker Kurt Zellers also attended the funeral, riding to Lake City with Governor Dayton. We are gathered here today to worship, to remember before God our brother Sean Schneider, to give thanks for his life, to commend him to our merciful Redeemer, and to comfort one another in our grief. Sean's funeral at First Lutheran Church was rich with stories, song, and scripture. The Reverends Darren Paulson and Kevin Westhoff talked about the tragic circumstances of Sean's death, and they talked about his faith in Jesus. Brittany insisted that the funeral be at their church, their family church, instead of a larger venue. So two large tents were provided with sound and a video feed outside to the overflow crowd. After the funeral, the American flag was returned to the casket, and the red, white, and blue clearly showed through the horse-drawn carriage's glass windows. Law enforcement officers from all over Minnesota and Wisconsin attended the funeral and they joined in the procession, but they came from distant locations too. 
Two Chicago police cars joined the nearly four-mile procession from the church to the cemetery, along with one from Las Vegas and closer places such as Jamestown, North Dakota. Leading the procession to the cemetery, two University of Minnesota police officers rode motorcycles in front of the horse-drawn carriage carrying Sean's body. As the carriage entered the cemetery, the motorcycle escort parked, saluted, and stood at attention as the coffin and family members slowly went by. Law enforcement vehicles from Goodhue and Wabasha counties filled the cemetery for the gravesite services. Lake City straddles the county line. Following the rifle salute, a police bagpipe group played Amazing Grace, and a bugler also played taps. Schneider was buried in Lakewood Cemetery following the police tradition of a radio dispatcher calling his badge number 208 three times, then declaring he was 10-7, police code for out of service. Then, two members of the St. Paul Police Federation rang a bell 14 times, signifying that the officer served almost 14 years, and then two helicopters flew overhead in a mission man formation. When a local hero like Sean dies in the line of duty, it's traumatic. It sends a ripple effect throughout law enforcement, throughout the community, his family, and his friends. It's like when you throw a stone in the water. Some stones are bigger than others, like when you lose a hero like Sean. Some stones may be a bit smaller, but still traumatic. Car crashes, domestics, child abuse calls, death scenes, etc. And in the end, when all the ripples die down, all those stones, they're still down there. All of us manage stress different. It affects us different. Some cops are able to process all these incidents, these stones, and manage the stress that comes with it. Many will reach out for help. And for even some of the strongest cops out there, leaving the profession ends up really being the only way for them to get better and better manage their cumulative stress and PTSD. That's what Kevin had to do. And I went on to work, doing fine. Like I said, I was back to work, doing this, doing that. There wasn't a day that that wasn't going through my mind. I mean, seriously, you know what I'm saying? I would drive past Sean's house and think about it. I mean, he lived on the other side, you know, his backyard, my backyard, you know, in the same block, but we're houses apart, you know. Thought about it all the time. And I'm in the school one day talking about something. His daughter Lily came up and gave me a sucker on Valentine's Day. You'll hear this for you, Kevin. <laughs> oh my God. I thanked her, put that in my pocket, and I walked to the bathroom. Just sat there for about 10 or 15 minutes. I thought, you little sweetheart, if I got to trade places with your daddy, I would have, but I just thought, wow, Sean's kids, and I watched when we worked together how him and Brittany would talk about everything they did. You know, she's on the way home, they talk about what they're going to do for supper, 
what they're going to do with the kids, where they're going to take them, what they're going to do. Honest to God, that was love. You know, and so all this stuff is going through my mind. And she gives me a sucker, but I mean, that's the kind of personality he had in his kids. That she walked up even afterwards and gives me a sucker on Valentine's Day and says, Kevin, this is for you. I thought for sure they hated me. You know what I'm saying? I swear to God in my mind that they hated me because of what happened because I didn't do enough or how come I didn't protect their dad or how come it was their dad, not me. You know, these are all thoughts going through my head. You know what I'm saying? It was me and him. I was neither one running past the side of the house and him in the back. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how these people are feeling. And I'm just speculating again that they hate me because their dad's gone and I didn't do enough. So he said, that's how I was feeling. Your officers and deputies are going to carry this the rest of their lives. How they deal with it, of course, is going to it's going to be how successful they're going to be in the future. But we're going to have to all deal with it somehow. And failure for some could come a year or two later when it all comes to a head. And uh, everybody involved in a situation like that is going to need to talk to somebody, even though they don't think that it's going to affect them. Everybody's going to have an effect from an event like that, and you just have to expect that to come later because of uh, just because of, uh, of the dynamics and, and what I what I saw in hindsight. Now, in most of rural America, with agencies like the Lake City Police Department, they have limited resources and limited staffing. So when they get a domestic call like this with a weapon, the officer working immediately responds. If they're fortunate enough to have more than one officer working that area, then that one will respond as well. Oftentimes, it's one officer responding to calls like this until others can help and respond. It's not like in the Metro when you know your backup is just a few minutes away. Yeah, so when uh, when this call went out, there was initially two uh, Lake City officers on that scene. And then, uh, of course, a short time after that, I believe there was four or five uh, county deputies that, that made it up there to uh, to assist, but it's typical in in uh, rural uh, America that we just don't have a lot of officers responding to scenes, and typically we're going to domestics and those type of calls uh, with just one person. Both Sean and Kevin immediately responded that day. This isn't just an eight to five job for these men and women. This is a calling. They signed up to help people, to make a difference in their communities. Certainly, uh, we know in law enforcement about how dangerous um, this job can be and that there's a danger behind every door. You know, for the community, our county commissioners, our, our city council people, I think it opened up their eyes to that it really is dangerous and it could happen um, in the morning when we least expect it during the daylight in which uh, this was the case. Sean and Kevin did exactly what they had to do and what they were trained to do. They responded immediately because their job is to keep that community safe. They were there to help this young lady being held in the house. They split up to make sure the suspect didn't get out of the house. They likely saved other lives that day, making sure that suspect with a handgun couldn't leave the house. Sean saved the life of this young teenage girl who needed his help. And in the end, he gave his life for hers. Her family wanted us to share with everyone that she is doing well, and her family appreciates everything the officers did to save her that day. 
For fallen law enforcement officers surviving families like the Schneider family, their sacrifice never ends. It's important for us as a society to always honor all fallen officers for their service to our communities and to always recognize their families for their sacrifice. We need to be sure to support the families of the fallen. We need to make sure they know the appreciation that we have for them and that we will always be there for them. Always. After the event, I didn't know the Schneiders very well, but you certainly feel like they're a part of your family now. And when I see Cheryl and Steve, I mean, you just, uh, I just have so much sympathy for them and having lost their son and being a parent and a grandparent today, that's just one thing you always say, or at least I do, that uh, please, Lord, let me die before my my children. And for that to not happen and then to happen this way with him protecting someone else, I mean, it just, it brings people together um, often uh, a lot closer. And uh, certainly uh, Cheryl uh, is always going to have a special place in the sheriff's office's heart, you know, for, in my heart. I look at her and I, I think of her as, as another mother. And I know when I see her, I, 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 I can tell what she's thinking. And it's just uh, she wants us to be safe. She want, doesn't want this to ever happen to anybody else again. And uh, she just uh, there's just a love there and a bond that, that's always going to be there. Officer Sean Schneider is recognized each year during Police Week at the State Memorial Program in St. Paul by the Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial Association. And in Southeast Minnesota each year by the Law Enforcement Memorial Foundation of Southeast Minnesota. The Foundation is currently raising funds to build their first Southeast Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial in Rochester to honor and remember Sean and over 30 other fallen heroes in Southeast Minnesota. If you're interested in supporting the Schneider family and would like to donate to the construction and maintenance of this new memorial, you can find out more information on the Foundation's website at www.lawenforcementmemorial.org. Thank you for spending the time to listen, learn about, and honor the memory of this fallen hero. Make sure you take the time to thank your local law enforcement for their service and their sacrifice. And don't forget to thank their families too. They also sacrifice so much for our safety. It's up to us to help ensure the sacrifices made by these fallen heroes and by their families are never forgotten. So please share this podcast with family and friends. Until next time, this is the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. I'm Scott Rose. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.